Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here. And I guess they wanted to start with one of the old guys. So I'm one of the old guys, and we're going to... Once we get our slides going, there we go. What we're going to talk about a little bit historically is how did we get to where we are. Historically, we've been using the opium poppy and many of its products for about 5,000 years or more. And they've always been a double-edged sword. Very good with acute pain relief, but highly addictive. And we've tried many different forms. Morphine was developed to deal with opium addiction. Heroin was developed to deal with morphine addiction. It's not working, is it? So, in terms of our current problem, things have gotten worse pretty fast. And in my feeling, my opinion, this may be kind of the beginning of our current problems. This is uh, Dr. Russell Portnoy. In 1986, he authored a paper that was published in Pain of 38 cases, a case series, if you will. Small n, 38, unknown selection criteria. How did he select these patients? We don't know. Non-randomized, not blinded, no crossover, and two-thirds of these patients were only receiving about 20 morphine milligram equivalents per day or less. Not a whole lot of narcotics, really. His statement was that the risk of addiction treating chronic, treating chronic pain in terms of non-cancer-related pain the risk of addiction was less than 1%. Now, we know in retrospect that it's actually a whole lot different, maybe as high as 40% in chronic pain patients. So this is a problem. But this paper, in my opinion, kind of started the whole barrage of push for greater pain care. We want patients to have their pains taken care of, but this was... Uh, really unleashed a very aggressive approach. And in retrospect, Dr. Portnoy now states that he thinks he made a mistake, and that if he knew then what he knows now, he would not have submitted this paper for publication. Then we move on to 1999. The Veterans Administration was very concerned that the returning vets were not getting adequate pain treatment. So they conjured up the thought of pain is the fifth vital sign. And unfortunately, that's a note of my own, the Joint Commission jumped on this bandwagon in 2000. And then that's, uh, that's the story right there. Disseminated it through all of American medicine. So now we have pain as the fifth vital sign. Now, there are some misconceptions here. The Joint Commission does not say that you have to treat patient pain with opioids. Okay, it doesn't say that. It says that all patients have a right to pain control, that we have to perform a pain assessment, and that we either have to treat the patient's pain or refer the patient for treatment, but we can include non-opioid approaches to the pain treatment. Nothing about having to use opioids. 
Mtala, we're always worried about, oh my God, is this an emergency medical condition that I am not stabilizing? Well, the fact of the matter is that severe pain alone is not considered an emergency medical condition under Mtala. If it's something, if it's a, an indicator of a major problem, yes, but you're going to deal with the problem. You're not going to necessarily deal with the pain. So the patient we know needs a medical screening exam, but the severe pain is not something that demands treatment. So this whole concept of moving towards more aggressive pain management, well, pharma and their allied advocacy groups, including groups like the American Cancer Society, jumped on the bandwagon big time. These groups spent $880 million between 2006 and 2015 in terms of lobbying and campaign contributions. Campaign contributions, okay? They funded on the average of 1,350 lobbyists through all 50 states. So even here in Colorado, we had lobbyists paid for by these folks trying to thwart any legislative effort to try to put some reining in on inappropriate opioid prescribing. Their whole goal, delay and defend. You know, they've staked out their territory and they don't want anybody messing with it. Interestingly enough, this is eight times what the gun lobby spent, who's very aggressive in terms of lobbying. That just to, gives you a little bit of a, a context. 200 times which those of us who favor more stringent opioid regulations were able to spend. And they also formed something called the Patient Care Forum. This was an association of drug manufacturers, of trade groups, and many, many nonprofits, again, putting forward the concept of more aggressive pain management. And they did what they could in terms of lobbying to thwart any attempts to stifle that or control it. And then we had drug companies that lied. Oh, really? They lie? Yes, they lie. Purdue Pharma pled guilty to criminal charges, not civil charges, criminal charges in 2007 for misleading advertising concerning the safety of their time-release OxyContin. They were fined $600 million. But that's the good news. The bad news, in the decade around, surrounding that, they sold $22 billion with a B billion with a B dollars worth of OxyContin. It's a cost of doing business, right? That's unfortunate, but it's true. And then this patient care forum was also involved in convincing Congress that they should demand that the IOM produce a report on pain control. This is the famous report in 2011 that said, effective pain management is a moral imperative a professional responsibility in the duty of people in the healing professions. I don't think anyone here has a problem with that. What I have a problem with, in this 300-page manuscript, there was the mention of the word addiction four times. Get the PDF, go through it, and count them yourself. And in those four times, it's only in passing less than a paragraph each time, which I think really sells short what the problem is. 
And then we have the problems with surveys, right? Uh, they've been tied to patient satisfaction. Remuneration gets tied to that. That's a problem. We need to educate our administrators. CMS has their HCAPS questionnaire that has the pain management dimension, and that's an issue, the three pain questions. Now, CMS is getting a little smarter. They are proposing to remove those from the value-based purchasing in 2018. And there's also some effort underway to have CMS produce a separate questionnaire for use in emergency medicine, which we would all appreciate very much. Now, a few other facts. Dylan stole some of my thunder here, but it's all the same message. In 2008, Americans consumed 80%, 80% of the global opioid supply. Are you kidding me? Are we the only ones with pain? And 99% of the manufactured hydrocodone. That's a lot of Vicodin, folks. Unbelievable. In 2010, it was determined that we were using 710 morphine milligram, morphine milligram equivalents per person in the U.S. on a yearly basis. That's up from 110 in 1997, almost a seven-fold increase. That's absolutely astounding. And as was alluded to, this could supply every U.S. adult with five milligrams of hydrocodone every four hours for a month. That's, a, again, a lot of Vicodin. And then 2011, 131 million prescriptions for hydrocodone. I don't want to beat a dead horse, but you're getting the message there. Now, surprisingly enough, what's happened? Look at our drug overdoses. These are deaths from drug overdose from 1999 to 2010. And look at the climb from about 4,000 in 1999 to about 16,000 in 2010. The top line are opioids. Cocaine, fortunately, went down. Benzos went up, and heroin went up as well. So big problems here, and we're in big trouble. Now, this is 2000 to 2014, the year we have the most recent data. Things are not getting any better. Look at the opioids, the top line, still steep climb upwards. And I would draw your attention to the, uh, let me see if I can, the, uh, the line down here, that is heroin. The only good news is methadone deaths went down. But you can see this is the problem that we're having now. And it turns out that opioids, in fact, may be a gateway drug to heroin. So, unintended consequences of the fifth vital sign, increased overdoses, increased number of deaths, increased rate of opioid addiction. Not what we really wanted. Now, how much of this is our problem in emergency medicine? This was data from 2009, uh, and it says that we were in fourth or third place in terms of number of prescriptions for opioids in the different age ranges in the first, first four decades of life. Now, granted, this is number of prescriptions, not number of doses, and we can argue about that. There is a difference there. But this really, I find scaring, scary. This is a study in 2010 where they asked high school seniors, if you took a narcotic drug without a doctor's orders, one for which you had a prescription in your name, from whom did you get this prescription? And you could answer more than one. Responses, 35% dentist, 44% emergency physicians, 
46% another doctor. We own a significant share of this problem. And I'd also like to point out that nearly 80% of new heroin users between the ages of 12 and 49 have previously used opioids non-medically. So we have, a, we have a problem. So this is where we are now. Things are a bit of a mess. And we've had multiple forces that have gotten us here. I think we need to try to right the ship. And what we've seen is a marked rise in unintentional overdoses. We've got almost a factor of four-fold increase in unintentional opioid deaths from 1999 to 2010. We have deaths from opioid analgesics that are now greater than the sum from cocaine and heroin. And this is really a watershed moment. In 2010, drug overdoses became the leading cause of injury death surpassing motor vehicle accidents, which had been the leading cause for decades. So we've got a problem, at least nationwide, and now we're going to hear some about what we have in terms of a problem in Colorado. And I think we'll take questions at the end. Thank you very much.